probably be good to turn on the microphone. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, good morning. Uh, just uh, shared with some of the folks uh, who are here a little early, Creef Hall uh, is actually uh, starting something that has never happened in the history of Midtown, uh, which is, is that if you're here this morning in person, you're at the first live stream service that actually has live people in the service as well. So if you're watching at home, uh, there are a bunch of Creef Hallers here. They say hello to you and uh, good morning and excited uh, to open up the word this morning. Um, we are starting a new series today uh, in the book of First Thessalonians, and um, Paul wrote this letter. If you want to go there in your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. Uh, you can turn there at First Thessalonians. It's towards the end of the Bible. Uh, I don't have the exact page, and we don't all have the exact same Bible. So, um, but this is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Thessalonica, which was the capital of Macedonia and Macedonia's largest city. And he's writing this letter to a young church uh, that he has planted. And uh, when I say young church, I mean, it's a baby church, right? Uh, not very old at all. It's full of people who have converted um, from Judaism, uh, some God-fearing Gentiles, and it, it'll say in there some really prominent women uh, had all came to faith through Paul's visit to Thessalonica and his preaching there in three subsequent Sundays uh, in the synagogue. Now, Thessalonica, uh, it was a key city. Paul had this, um, I'm giving you guys a little bit of context here. Paul had this habit of going to uh, these large, really influential, cultural shaping cities. And he decided that's the best way that the gospel is going to go forward is, is I'm actually going to go to these cities and I'm going to preach and plant churches there because out of those cities, uh, the gospel would radiate out into the rural areas. And this was a key city. Um, it literally, it, it narrowly escaped at the time becoming the capital of the world. That's how important this city was. And so Paul was really pumped about what he sees going on in this young church. This was a vibrant young church. But he also, he, he's smart because Paul, he's coming off, this is I think his fourth city in a row where basically things had gotten off really, really good and then there was opposition and things got really, really difficult. And he knows that it's hard. It's hard to walk in the gospel. It's hard to remain in the gospel. He knows that joy leaks. And this church in particular, they were almost immediately, because of all these converts from Judaism, they were experiencing affliction at the hands of Jewish leaders who were concerned about the momentum of this new church. If you want to read about that, you can go into Acts 17, but this is, this is what was going on. It says, the Jews were jealous and they rounded up some bad characters. <laughs> we're going to go get some bad characters from the marketplace. And they formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Did you know there was a Jason in the Bible? I was like, did I read that right, Jason? They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. They didn't find him and they dragged Jason and a bunch of other believers out. And they said this, this is how much what was going on with the gospel was disrupting things. It says that these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they've come here. And they're defying Caesar's decrees, and they're saying another king, this King Jesus, has come. And so they were freaked out. They had started a fight, right? 
And Paul is writing to this young Thessalonican church in the middle of all of that. So Treva is going to read for us. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only from in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right, that's the Lord's word. We're um, three things I want us to kind of lean into. We'll see if we can get through all three of them, all right? The first one uh, is this, the difficulty's real. You can write that down. It's real. Uh, the joy that's available right now is the second thing. And then how do we as believers tend that joy flame, all right? How, how do we tend that flame of joy right now? So the first thing is the difficulty's real. Um, so I, I've already said to you that this was a church that was under persecution and the Jewish people felt threatened, right? Uh, because Jesus had come and the gospel was spreading. And I learned this a long time ago because I coached a lot of teams uh, that had to play teams that were better than them in sports. Like my team was the weaker team. And when you're the weaker team, what you have to do in order to beat another team, right, is, is you can't beat them by outplaying them. You actually have to create some kind of chaos or do something to get that team who is the better team to actually forget how they play and who they are, right? You gotta distract them so much and create so much chaos that they actually stop playing the way that they can play. And that's what was going on uh, with the Jews who were persecuting this church. They were trying to get them to forget who they are. It made me think of uh, that song, some of you might not be old enough to even know this. You guys remember that song, The Going Gets Tough by Billy Ocean? No? Wow. A few of you nodding your heads right now. I won't sing it this morning, but the, the, the phrase is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? When things get hard, I go somewhere. And the question is, where? And Paul is already celebrating that they've, they've gone, they've turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. But Paul understands something, that when the persecution and when things stay difficult, when the going gets tough, it's easy for us, it's easy for me to revert back to old things and to old ways, isn't it? To revert back to idols. 
And so I just want us to acknowledge something for this group of people, and that's not just us. I mean, it's really global. The going's been tough, hasn't it? Like, just, I'm just gonna talk about COVID here for a second. The form of affliction that we have all suffered over almost an entire year now, right? It's been hard, profoundly difficult. If we teased out all the details, if I gave you each a microphone, you could come up and talk to us at nauseum, right, about how hard this has been. And for some, for some people, that difficulty has drawn them into a deeper experience of the Lord and his love. For some, it's deepened their faith, right? And their need for faith to actually live. For some, it's, it's actually strengthened the spiritual muscles of hope and of waiting with unfulfilled desire. Not just, not just longing for COVID to be over, but longing for the Lord's return, which is our real hope, right? For some, it's done that, but for many, this has been a season, I know this, I've, I've struggled with this myself. It's been a season that the idols, the difficulty has invited the idols to come out and play and saying, come on over here, right? The things that I may believe would deliver and provide lasting joy and lasting peace and hope that my heart longs for. And Paul knows something that when it gets tough, my idols invite that, and he's saying that the joy that I'm talking about here, the joy that's available to you and to me, it's a joy that my idols promise me, but it, my idols promise me a counterfeit joy, right? My idols promise me, they say, that I'm gonna substitute this momentary inferior happiness in place of the true joy that you have in Christ Jesus. It's like a, it's like a gluten-free pizza, right? I don't care, I, I feel so sorry for you with gluten intolerance, but when people who are like, no, the gluten crust is really good, I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure, right? I'm glad that it's the best version of what they can put together for gluten-free pizza, but it's not a pizza. <laughs> but that's what my idols do, they try to sub that in. And Paul's saying you have a joy that only comes from one place, right? It's there in verse six, the joy that can be given to you by the Holy Spirit. The joy that can be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And Paul knows that their joy is in jeopardy, that there's an assault going on on their identity. And if this church, this young church, this baby church is gonna go on the journey of fully maturing, right? If they're gonna be a church that has joy, not simply when their circumstances are copacetic and good, but to be able to continue, because he's praising them, they have joy in the middle of affliction. If that's gonna continue, then remembering and remaining in Jesus and not retreating from the very essence of the gospel is paramount. God's word to them, his words, it says there that they welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. He knows that that word has got to be taken in and received and allowed to be the thing that our spiritual, emotional house is built upon. 
It's not just sentimental future postcards for heaven, right? It's powerful here and now. And why? It's because the Holy Spirit brings power and deep conviction and joy in combination with the word. And so Paul is writing them the words, the truth about who they are because he's saying you desperately need to be encouraged in this difficulty. You need to remember what's true about you and what's true about the Lord and what's certain about your future. Because if not... We're going to revert back to things that can't give us what they promise. Paul is fighting for that flame of the gospel that's burning bright in their church to not be snuffed out, to not be smothered by the hard. He wants it to be fanned into an ever-growing bonfire that many will see, that many will experience, that many will be affected by. And let me just say this. That's what's happening right now. That's what I'm doing right now. God is doing right now for y'all. <laughs> he is fighting, and we are in a fight right now. For our church <laughs> that, that is in a season of extended suffering. And I, I'm just telling you, if y'all, one of the greatest tricks of the devil is, is that he gets you to believe that you're not in a fight. And if you don't know that you are, you, that's probably why you're getting rolled over. Is because you don't even know that you're in a battle. But you are in a battle. We are in a battle for our functional joy and peace, our hope right now. We are in a battle to not numb out with our idols, but actually stay awake to the truth of what's going on, right? I can say I've been doing this for tw almost 20 years now which means I've seen quite a bit. And I have never seen a season where the collective wind has been knocked out of everyone across the board. So many people struggling, so much fatigue, so much isolation, so much indifference and apathy that's come from that. The affliction of discouragement. Afflicted by discouragement continual setbacks. I mean, how many times, who, who's on their third quarantine yet, right? Their third time of like, figure out the math of how many more days we have to stay in our house by ourselves. It's been hard, it's been sad, it's been discouraging, it's been afflicting. And when it gets hard, when the going gets tough, where do we go? Where do we turn to? Because he's saying they turned from from idols to serve the true and living God. So where does Paul take them? Well, he takes them to the second thing, which is this, the joy that's available now. The difficulty's real, but there is joy that is available now. And it comes from remembering and experiencing what we already have. I know we're waiting for things, we certainly are waiting for things, a lot of things. But he's saying there's a joy that I can bring into the present by experiencing and remembering what I've already got, not what I'm waiting for, right? And he's saying that's the key to the joy that is available right now. Paul's encouraging the church, you already have so much. Do you know it? Do you know that your bank accounts are full of it? 
right? But I forget. That's what pain does. Pain causes me to forget what's true about the Lord, what's true about his promises, what's true about me, right? Pain makes me forget that, but guess what pain doesn't do? Pain doesn't make that untrue. I can forget what's true, but it doesn't make it untrue. And so Paul literally, um, I'm gonna refer to it like an airstrike, like when, when soldiers are struggling, right, and they need backup, and they literally call in the airstrike that, that comes high over them and absolutely decimates the enemy of discouragement. Paul literally flies up in his B-52 right now, and he's like, all right, I'm about to literally pull the bay doors open and drop truth bombs all over this discouragement. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what I'm about to do. And the first thing he does is this. He talks about this triangle. You've heard us talk about it before, faith, hope, and love. What does he say there in verse 3? We remember before God and the Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. Now, you can't read any of Paul's letters where he doesn't talk about that triangle, right? One of the commentators says that, said that it was, it's literally the three most eminent Christian graces. Those three things. You have these graces, these gifts in Christ. You have them, right? And it's literally, I mean, I guess the Bermuda Triangle is a negative reference, right? <laughs> that in that triangle, dangerous and powerful bad things happen. Well, in this triangle, dangerous and powerful good things happen, right? It's like, for those of you who played sports, the sports, right? The triangle offense in basketball that Phil Jackson won all of his uh, you know, championships with the Bulls, uh, with Michael and Kobe with the Lakers. It was a triangle offense that won those championships for him. And Paul is literally saying, you've got this triangle offense, right? This powerful thing to ward off and to defend against the discouragement. It's faith, hope, and love. And yes, it is true that he's talking about, he sees their faith in their works and he sees their love and their labor and he sees their endurance and their hope. He is talking about what he sees in them, but he's also saying that it's not just fruit in your life, it comes from someplace. It's not just what you do, it's what's coming out of you because it has its source in something, in him. We read this stuff really quickly, but we read over it. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, that in is so important. They have that in him. They have faith. They have love. They have hope in their relationship with Jesus Christ, in their union with him, and their union with him is where that flows out of. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life and everything you do flows out of that, right? You've got that triangle. You have faith, you have love, you have hope. 
And why is that important to be reminded of? Because if I don't know that I have those things in him, if I am not experiencing those things through him, then I will try to get those things from something else. Don't be mistaken. I will have faith in something or someone. I will have love for something or someone or be trying to get love from something or someone. I will have and put my hope in something or someone all the time. Right? I mean, even the Jewish people that were persecuting this church, Jews who were trying to follow the law, they were struggling with what? Faith in myself and my ability to keep God's law, right? Hope that if I get it right and if I'm good enough, then what? I'll get the love that God can give me and that I most deeply desire. I'll get chosen, right? We all have faith in something. We all have love and hope in something. Even atheists do. No one's not religious. The question is who? And the question is what? And Paul is saying, you are, you, are, you are a new creation in Christ, Christian. You have a new identity. You have a new birth, Peter says, into a living hope. It's alive in you. You can't kill it. It's the hope of eternity that Christ has, has woken up in your heart, like Ecclesiastes 3 says. He has implanted new life in us, his life. And the markers of that are things like faith and hope and love in him. Bay doors open. Right? He keeps going. Verse four, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Why do you have faith? Why do you have hope? Why do you have love? Because you're chosen. And he didn't pick you like Numbers talks about because you were numerous and you were wonderful. He chose you. Why? Because you were loved by God. He loved you, period. A love that Paul puts love before choice. He doesn't say he chose you because you were so lovable. He says, I loved you. You were lovely to me. And I chose you, right? It's my choice. It's my will. And you have all of those things in me because of it cost to me. You have them because of grace. Because my love is a self-emptying, self-sacrificing love. And when I live and I remain in that chosen identity, when I let, when I let those, those bombs drop and land on the target of my heart, Paul testifies that something happens to the church. And he, he's celebrating this in the church in Thessalonica, and that's this, that there's a power it wasn't just words. The gospel came with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And they welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and they had joy given by the Holy Spirit and they became a model. Their, their message rang out, right? They, they were those who endured and they worked in the middle of even difficult times 
being marked by joy, being marked by hope, being marked by faith and love, not bootstrapping it, but because of they had that in him. And because we have all that in him, and because we have that spirit, let me just say this. This is, a, this is a, an invitation and it's also a challenge, at least it was to me. My joy must no longer swing on the hinge of my circumstances. I have a joy, you and I have a joy that my circumstances can't put out because my joy isn't given to me by my circumstances, it's given to me by the Holy Spirit. I'm not waiting for my circumstances to be a certain way to have joy. I have joy. I can, I can receive it from the Lord through the Holy Spirit and I can bring that into my affliction, right? When I say joy, when the Bible says joy, I'm not talking about be happy-go-lucky. Those people are annoying, aren't they? Right? You know, and it's not don't worry, be happy, right? Just kind of paint the happy face on, right? It's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what the Bible's talking about. When it says joy, it's a deep peace, a deep abiding confidence, right? It's a deep gladness and contentment that's really born of grace. And it's not, it's not a joy that doesn't just kind of turn a blind eye to the difficulty and say, it's not hard, everything's okay. It doesn't do that at all. It acknowledges the difficulty. It's a joy that can acknowledge difficulty. Paul's acknowledging difficulty here. I know you're suffering severely. It's a joy that acknowledges difficulty, but it's also a joy that says this, that difficulty is not the final story. It's not the total reality. I've got access to something beyond that. I have him. And so I'm not waiting for joy. I have joy. I'm not waiting to have faith that can work. I have faith that can work itself into every aspect of my life. I'm not waiting for love. I have love and I can labor out of that love. I'm not waiting for hope or being optimistic about the future. I have a hope that manifests endurance. I have power and I have joy from the Holy Spirit. That is you, Christian. If you are in Christ, you have that. And they had it. <laughs> Paul saw it because it was bearing fruit in that church and people were coming to faith. And it says there that the message, it rang out from you, not only in Macedonia to Acacia, and it's been known everywhere. It was ringing out of them. And while I was meditating on that for myself this week, I, I had to stop and ask this question. What's ringing out of me? Write that one down. Ask the Holy Spirit, because God gives us the Holy Spirit, what, to convict us, to guide us, to help us see our sin, but also to lead us in the truth. What is ringing out of me? The wor word there, ringing, is literally the word for echo. What's echoing out of my life? Echo, yes. Say it again. Echo. <laughs> What's echoing out of me? 
Has the difficulty robbed us? Has it muted? Has it pressed the mute button on the joy that we have? Would you be honest with yourself if it has? Has the difficulty, the suffering, the affliction robbed us of the gift of grace, of faith, the faith that I've been given as a grace from God to live out and live into? Ephesians 6 literally describes faith like a shield, right? A shield that can actually defend us from the arrows of the enemy. I've got this shield to protect me. Do I know that? Do I know how to pick that up? Has the difficulty blinded us to the love that God has for us, that he longs for us to know and experience and labor out of that place? Has it been so hard that I've become blinded to that love? Has the difficulty dampened my hope that he's implanted in me so it's shrunk my hope down to just, gosh, I just hope this would be over. Do you understand your hope is so much bigger than that? And that maybe God is trying to awaken you to that hope right now? He's saying, son, daughter, I'm trying to blow on a different flame than let's just get out of this momentary suffering. Because Paul said that momentary suffering, suffering is achieving for us a glory that far outweighs getting through this. What's ringing out of us, church? Has the difficulty robbed us of the joy of experiencing the faith of living in the love and enduring in the hope that you already have? Well, it does, it can. So how, last thing, how do we tend this joy fire? Because it's great. I mean, we all wish we had an Apostle Paul, right? Who could kind of like fly in and just be like, and destroy the enemy, right? Yeah, the discouragement enemy. But part of what he's doing, because he's not going to be able to go back to these people. Part of what he's doing here is, is he's writing them, but he's also demonstrating something for them right? He's not just writing them the truth. He's teaching them about what he's had to do when things have gotten hard for him, right? When his joy was waning, when it was really hard, and he was, he was beginning to wonder, you know, I, I'm hard-pressed on every side, right? Like he would write, I'm crushed, right? And he's teaching us, how do I tend that fire of my own heart? So he's writing the truth, but I would just tell you this. We, we read over this. The first thing is this. He's praying. I'm going to talk about prayer for a second and then the word. He says in two, we always thank God for all of you continually mentioning you in all our prayers. So when Paul, he's, he's dropping bombs in the letter, but he's dropping bombs all the time for these people. He's asking the Holy Spirit to come rain this truth down on them all the time, right? He's calling in that airstrike, not just through the letter. He's calling it in all the time for these people. They have to remember this. They, in and of themselves, they are going to get discouraged, right? They don't have the resources in themselves to not stay undiscouraged. So I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, right? And he's praying what? 
that that power that they see coming through the Holy Spirit, that that power would be bearing fruit in their lives again and again, that he would continue to give them joy. And he would continue, Holy Spirit, drop those faith, hope, love bombs, right? That chosen bomb, drop them on the discouragement, right? Constantly. And Paul's teaching them just by saying he's praying for them. He's saying, you have these huge graces, this access to these things, faith, hope, and love, and chosenness, and joy. You've been given all these things, and the Holy Spirit has been given to you to explore and apply those things, to fan them into the flame, because they're powerhouses for you in the middle of discouragement. So he's saying, I have to pray. Like, do you ask God for that stuff? Like, when I feel joyless, I'll try to be joyful rather than just simply begin to ask God, God, would you give me joy? Like, I'll, I'll do things like, God, help me to think differently about this so I can have joy. Rather than saying, like, Lord, I, I don't know how to think about this, but I know that I can have joy in you that, that no thinking can get me to necessarily, would you give me joy? Right? Ask him for it. Ask him to experience what you can't work yourself into, right? But there also is a, is a work on our end. It's not, it's not an, a but, it's an and, right? So we pray that the Holy Spirit does what only the Holy Spirit can do, but he also says this, they welcomed the message. They welcomed the word. Now, when things get hard, sometimes, if, if you're like me, I kind of like to just kind of sulk in that, right? Like, I don't want anybody coming in and telling me the truth when things are difficult. It's kind of like, you know what, just, mm, right? I just kind of want to have my own little moment here, right? Rather than what, what they did, which is a work of the Spirit, they welcomed the Word. They took it in like a house guest, right? And what happens is this, and y'all, this is, <laughs> you're going to have to spend time on your own thinking more about this and even getting into the scriptures. But when you welcome in the word, let me tell you what you're welcoming in. You're welcoming in a sword. Hebrews 4 says that the word is living and active. It's, it's like a double-edged sword that divides the spirit and the joints and the marrow. He's saying you bring something very powerful into your life when you bring the word into your life. Ephesians 6 calls the word the sword of the spirit, right? So God has married his word and his spirit together and without one without the other is ineffective, right? With the word and with the spirit, we have weapons, we have defense against the discouragement. Once one commentator said this, he said, God has married the two, word and spirit. The spirit without the word is weaponless. The spirit without the word is weaponless. You don't have any defense if all you have is the Holy Spirit and you don't have the word. The word without the spirit, powerless. If all it is is me trying to do the word without the Holy Spirit, I'm powerless. With both, I have a weapon and I have power. And so church, 
Would you dare to believe that the way I tend that fire, one, is, is I pray for the power that I don't have in myself, that the Holy Spirit can give to me. I pray for that. And I ask him to, to help open up the floodgates of what I have in him, what I have in Christ, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit. I have faith. I have hope. Would you help me experience that? But then I also, I have, to, I have to grab a hold of that word. That's why David said, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I actually in, ingest and I welcome the word and it becomes a weapon in my life. I don't just need someone to come fight for me. I learn how to fight for myself in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in, in Philippians, and I'll close with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I can have joy. I can rejoin my heart in all circumstances. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The word, the living word, the logos, right? My buddy John Moxon, it's not black ink on white pages. It's the living logos. That's what he used to say to me. It's the living word. The Lord is near. You're not alone. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by what? Prayer and petition. That's what Paul's doing. With thanksgiving, you've already got it all. You've got the gifts. Present your request to God and what? The peace of God, not the peace of your circumstances, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have a guard. You have someone standing guard over your heart through the word and the spirit. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. You have him. And how do we experience that? Here's what he says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Welcome them. Take the word in deep. It will change your life if you do. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. The difficulty is real. It's real. He knows it's real. He's not saying it's not hard, but he's saying there's joy available now. And he's saying, church, I have given you the resources to not just tend that fire, but to build a bonfire that other people will gather around and say, what is different about you that you actually can have this sort of joy and peace in the middle of such difficulty? So that's the fight we're in. That's the fight we're gonna be in this spring with the, with the Thessalonians, is how do we maintain that joy, that hope in the middle of real hard times, all right? Let me pray for us and we'll worship a little bit. Lord Jesus, thank you. For your word, uh, thank you, uh, Lord, that you don't leave us resourceless um, to just fend for ourselves, but you, you promised us in John that you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but you would send your spirit. Thank you that in you we have your spirit and we have all the fruit of your spirit, Lord. Help us see the places uh, that the difficulty has driven us to that aren't you. Things that we've turned to uh, believing that they could actually give us the joy and the peace and that we could trust in that are, are too small. Maybe they're not even bad things, but they're not you. Lord, show us those things, and then would you teach us 
Lord, uh, would, your, would your Holy Spirit visit us with power this week? I pray for my friends who are at home and my friends who are here that your Holy Spirit uh, would stand guard over the heart. And I just pray that a hunger and a thirst for your word would awaken in your people that would be so strong that they would feed on it like they feed on nothing else. Uh, Lord, uh, make us a church that is hungry uh, for your word and hungry to experience your spirit. And may we ring out uh, to a city um, that's ears are ringing in pain. Uh, may we sing a different song. And may we sing it now in your name. Amen.